0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the project purple podcast I'm Dino Varelli founder and CEO of project purple and today we're back in the project purple studio with friend of ours newly found friend Renee McCoy from Seattle Washington hey Renee how are you thank you for joining us how's the weather out in Seattle Renee
1: oh it's wonderful it's absolutely wonderful it's about uh, about 50 degrees I was uh, just in Detroit a couple days ago and
0: this is, uh, this is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, coming from Detroit a couple days ago for, now this will probably air in a, in, a, in a couple weeks. So we're, we're not in winter technically, but I think, you know, for those who have lived in the uh, the Detroit area or also the East Coast can relate to this time of year around November, around around Thanksgiving, it can get really crazy in terms of the weather in Detroit because you've got the lake effect. And I think they they got some snow already. So I don't know if you had that experience while you were there.
1: Oh, I was there for the first snow. We had nine nine inches,
0: oh and my God.
1: Uh, it was it, on this last uh, Monday, the first snow of the season, and uh, I, it was it was something.
0: So, going back to Seattle, the weather is probably a lot more moderate, and there's no snow in Seattle right now.
1: Absolutely, it was. Uh, I went from 17 degrees in Detroit to 55 in Seattle, oh. so it was quite it was quite fun.
0: That, that's got to be a challenge trying to pack for those two elements you know for for going to Detroit and then going back to Seattle but well well
1: Detroit's my home so I, I was used to it.
0: I love Detroit. I was in Detroit two years ago and I always tell you Renee and, and if you're born and raised in Detroit, correct? Yeah I was blown away how great Detroit was from what they've done and I know it's it's had kind of maybe it's better days and it it is on I think on the upswing but yeah
1: absolutely I've been uh I've been working on a, a little project that uh actually grew out of my experience of uh pancreatic cancer so I've been going back and forth uh the last couple years uh doing a a couple projects there so
0: well, I uh, I think it's yeah, a great it's a, it's city. It's been amazing. It's a great city. I mean, I think it kind of got kind of a bad reputation, I think there for a little while with, you know, things that were going on in the city and the violence and the crime, just like any major city, right? right but right. I was so impressed with what they were doing in terms of just instead of leaving a lot of these old buildings up, they were just knocking them down. So from a development standpoint, And I got to see the city kind of from a unique perspective. I went in for the Detroit Half Marathon, Marathon Weekend, which we're a charity partner of. And I was just blown away because when you run the marathons, I love running new races and and new courses because you get to see kind of the the real landscape of the city. And Detroit's one of those races that really keeps you in Detroit the whole 26 miles or 13 miles other than a a quick jaunt over to Canada, across the bridge, over to Windsor and back through the tunnel. But that's only a couple miles. But, but I was so impressed with what uh, it they were was, doing. It was
1: great. It was great. I, uh, I have such hope for, for that city. And, uh, I, I just, uh, it, it, you know, it, it's just been my home and it's been, I've been, like I said, going back for the last, the last couple years doing some, doing some community work, organizing and some, some building there rebuilding there and revisioning and um and it's been it's been an amazing experience uh, it, it's it's coming back in a different way yeah and uh i'm always encouraged by it but uh <laughs> I, I, I don't miss the winter i no. don't miss the snow <laughs> you
0: know? no most most people don't miss any of that right unless you're like a diehard i will tell you this and i'll leave you with this on detroit I was so impressed being downtown. And usually when you go to a downtown in these major cities, you, you see a lot of uh, the franchise types of restaurants, the Ruby Tuesdays, as an example, right. you know, some of these larger chains that will come into the cities, the big cities, and they'll establish, you know, their footprint. You do not right. find that in Detroit. It's all homegrown. It's all these, you know, world-renowned chefs that have come in and whether they're from Detroit or they're not from Detroit and established these eateries and these establishments and the bars and it it was just such a cool scene and and Detroit's got a lot of culture and a lot of background when it comes to their food with their I I know friends have told us about the Detroit style pizza then there's the hot dogs that are like world famous there from Detroit because I always I something that I love when I travel is I always try to get the the cuisine of that area I feel like you know to go in and have just a slice of pizza if that place is not known for pizza is really not the thing to eat when you're you know in Detroit or Chicago or in Louisiana um you know, or other parts of the country where there's some really delicatessens or delicacies that are really known for that area. It's kind of like a shame not to try them. And I'm always open to trying things and trying new and, and exciting foods. So that was just really cool with Detroit. I, I just love that aspect. And maybe just because I'm a little bit of a foodie, uh, I thought it right, was just right. really cool.
1: Yeah, I think what, one of the things that that's happening in Detroit are, you know, you're you, finding community partnerships and people are coming in and uh, giving some, you know, some support to the people who are there already, people who grew up there, and um, and trying to make some some areas. At the same time, you know, there there's, uh, you know, they're pushing African Americans out a little bit, but there's some there's some folks who have been there, you know, for generations, and uh, and. There's some, you know, we're finding some some corporate support that that's there. Some people who are trying to hold on to uh, to that that historic presence of Detroit. So um, I, I'm always encouraged by it. But uh, and and some people who are willing to work through some some racial divides yep. and um, you know some progressive progressive visioning that's coming up through some collaborative work. So. We'll see, but I, I uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, uh, I haven't given up. I'm still, you know, I still a property owner. My family's there. I still have have property there. We all have property there, and, uh, and projects. And I, like I said, I still do some community, a lot of community organizing there. So that's awesome. Um, it it it's on its way back,
0: you know. That's awesome. Well, I wanted to give you an opportunity, and what we do with all of our guests renee is we have a pretty vast audience here at project purple that listen to the podcast and we've interviewed a lot of survivors a lot of clinicians doctors scientists geneticists recently we've done a lot with genetics we've had olympians on the podcast we've had participants and we always give our guests the opportunity to kind of share a little bit of their background because not everyone is going to know who renee mccoy is i mean we've done our research and i know we've been talking to you for a couple weeks here Uh, but this is really your opportunity to share with our audience and i know you've got a very vast background i know we talked briefly just about it just with here with talking about from detroit and living now in seattle and you've done a lot so this is just really your opportunity to give our audience kind of a background on you know who you are and and what brings you kind of to this point and, and to this podcast
1: well um uh, you know, I, I'm, I I've I've done a lot of things but I, I, for the most part, um uh, my focus has been, you know, sort of twofold. Um I am uh, I'm a, a a minister, um ordained clergy. But I'm also a um I'm an activist, I'm a lesbian, uh African American. Uh I have um I've been I've been doing this community stuff for a long time, for the last, uh, well, since uh, the early, well, I'm old. <laughs> That's the other thing, I'm You're going to
0: age so. yourself here every day. Be careful. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not the years, it's the mileage, we <laughs> yeah. say,
1: from Detroit. But um, so for uh, the last, well, since 1981, I've been focused on... Um, HIV and AIDS, and providing uh, support to people with HIV and AIDS. I started that work when I was uh, when the disease first surfaced as a clergy out in New York City. So, uh, and back then, for African Americans and people of color, there wasn't a lot of support. So I uh, I did that. Um, so I've been doing HIV stuff. Uh, I have a a doctorate in medical anthropology. I specialize in dealing with uh, high-risk populations and um, uh, accessing communities of people of color, uh, especially those who are most at risk around HIV, um, people of color, African Americans, women, uh, LGBTQ. Like I said, I'm a lesbian, and um, I have... uh, yeah, you know, I taught at Wayne State and a couple other universities. I taught out here at University of Washington, uh, medical anthropology, um, pastored a couple churches. I'm um, a, a potter. You know, I, I make uh, 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 functional pottery uh, here in Seattle. I've been doing that for a long time. But most of my my work has been about um, empowering uh, people of color, and what do we, what do we need to do to, to live the best lives we can? And how do we not buy into this the messages that we get about, the negative messages that we get in the world about who we are? So um, I moved back to uh, Detroit about, uh, I don't know, about 30-some years ago to, uh, to do some HIV stuff there. And started a church there, which is one of the things that I do when I go back I'm working to revive that ministry they kind of uh, needed some help so I went back to the church I founded there's about thirty years old so we're uh, I go back and help uh restructure some of that um and in the midst of that, I used to be the director of. Uh, before I moved to Seattle, I was director of HIV and AIDS for the Detroit metropolitan area, and uh, worked on uh, prevention and uh, funding uh, at the Detroit Health Department for many years. And continued that work when I was at, when I came out here. I came out here because my spouse lived here, so I, I moved out here to be with her. And so we've been married about, uh, well, 11 years, uh, and then legally, we've been together 11 years, and we've been married uh, legally, you know, for ever since, I don't know, when they started it out here, the last seven years. But uh, that's how I got to Seattle and taught at Wayne State, I mean, taught at uh, University of Washington. And continued doing HIV uh, prevention work here, prevention and education here for a, a nonprofit, and uh, pastor a church over in Bellevue. And then pancreatic cancer uh, entered my life about uh, uh, three three years ago. So that uh, that sort of changed everything. But for the most part, I've been. Uh, Community activist, community organizer, and educator for um, all of my for the, the
0: last forty some years. Um, I want to jump in uh, here, Renee, for a second. That's pretty much it in a
1: in a nutshell.
0: You know? I, I've got a question though for you to back up just sure. a bit. Why HIV, and was there well, a, a, at um, that time? I mean, I, I know was, at that time well, it was.
1: The, as a as a as clergy. Yeah. Um. And as a lesbian, uh, I was part of a denomination that did, called MCC Metropolitan Community Churches, and uh, for the it's a denomination that's 50 years old, and we um, we realized that so many LGBTQ people were uh, were the church had, had done us wrong, and so I was doing ministry in the LGBTQ community. And then HIV hit. And so uh, all of a sudden, we were people in, in my congregation and in the congregations that we had uh, internationally were dying from this disease. So I, it, it was, why not? It was uh, prior to that, um, you know, we were just doing gay rights stuff and trying to get uh, the human rights agenda out. Um, I was uh, part of a group that started a, uh, a group, an organization called National Coalitions for Black Lesbians and Gays, and mm-hmm. you know we were being treated, treated pretty bad. So um, when HIV hit, uh, there was no one, and so the church had the church was rejecting people, and as a, a community of people of faith, we had to step up. There was no one there. Um, and then the racial issue came about, so, uh, you know, uh, 25% of the people who had HIV in 1981 were uh, were African Americans, and yet we were, at that point, only 10% of the population. So um, there wasn't a question, it was, you know, AIDS was killing us, uh, people were, men were we're dying after nine months of diagnosis, and women were dying after six months when the disease first hit. So there was—it wasn't a—it wasn't really a choice. It was um, what you do, and um, so I, you know, lived through the horror of uh, of HIV, you know, in the early days. It, AIDS, you know, when I started, they didn't even have a name for it. They called it GRID, gay-related immune disease.
0: It's so fascinating, though. I think from you know, I, I, I won't bring up age as we mentioned in the beginning. And I remember, you know, I'm 45. And so when I was going through high school, you know, AIDS was such a big thing, you know, I mean, Uh uh, even in like, I remember probably as early as like middle school and like the, the, the late eighties, early nineties. And it's almost, you know, like we fast forward now 30 years, almost like, it's not, I mean, it's, it's a good thing that what's happened you know with the disease because you know it, it's had an amazing advancement um but it's almost like the generation of, of kids today that are growing up in the world probably don't know very much about aids right you know so right. it's, it's almost like and, this uh, and forgotten. they don't know i mean no. we saw
1: people on tv we saw movies yeah we saw people who were really living with the disease the problem now is that um, the the community that continues to be most at risk are our uh, black uh, black men who have sex with men, and there's still um, there's still a disproportionate impact on uh, communities of people of color. So um, you know, Why do you we still have that? millions in Africa and millions on a global level yeah. <clears throat> who who still have have are getting HIV, and we're still getting young people. And older people who are still getting the disease, so um, it's you know it's it's it continues to be an issue, but because people are living with it, they don't. uh, It 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 has sort of lost its center stage, and there's so many other things going on around too.
0: Renee, do you think that, and the reason for that, why it's still happening, is it an education or is it access to Care, like quality care, because I I I do agree with you. I mean, I think you know there are people living with it, and and the reality of you know when you don't have people passing away, and you don't have the celebrity status of people that were passing away. I I just remember growing up, and I remember like Rock Hudson, you know, right. being diagnosed with AIDS, and it was like, oh my God, like it's Rock Hudson, right. like how could this be? And um, you know, and then I I I think. You know there, there were a couple other celebrities uh you know at that time as well so you had this big shock and awe and then it kind of dissipated and then you know magic johnson came out you know and magic johnson you know and i i think the stigma too was that it was you know known as a as a at the time more i you know i guess i'll go on a limb here and say it was known like if you were having you know uh homosexual you know right. sex versus, you know, heterosexual and then when Magic Johnson came out there like oh my god like is you know Magic Johnson's heterosexual and he has AIDS but then you know then Magic Johnson became clear or, or you know cured of it not clear but he became cured of it, you know, quote unquote. So, you know, I, I I don't know like I guess my question here is and why is the reason why is it still happening? Is it access to the care or is it well, that it's kind I of mean, been it, forgotten? It, it, it's about bit.
1: understanding that, you know, what they they call the social determinants of health and uh, and so, a- HIV and AIDS is more about. It- it's not just about a disease. It's about access to care. It's yeah. about education. It's about poverty, homelessness, uh, all of the the social problems that we have impact on healthcare. And HIV is just one of many uh, health issues that are are in, that that are impacted by those social determinants of care. Lack of education, lack of access to health, uh, even things like food—the food deserts that we have in 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 our metropolitan areas now. Access to good food, access to clean water, access to to things like literacy. Uh, you know, African Americans are forty percent uh, functionally illiterate. So, uh, you know, how can you how can you talk about prevention and educate about prevention when you? Uh, you can't read. You know. You, you know. It's it, 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 it's all of those things. It's it's the the all of the things that impact healthcare uh, and HIV is just one of, of of many. The problem with HIV is that there is no cure for it. You know. They've been been able to um, you know to decrease the 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 uh, impact of the disease, the disease on on people, but People like people think like you just said Magic Johnson is cured. Nobody has been cured, yeah. but he's you know he his his immune system uh, is controlled through 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 good medication and um, you know and he's able the, the medical technology has has lengthened the lives of of, of of most people who live with it. Now though, it's about having people have access to care and prevention medication. So uh, it's still based on uh, those social determinants of of health in a general sense. We've come a very 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 long way, and people are living a long time. But when um, yeah, you know, it, it it just sort of depends on who the celebrity is. You know, I I am always uh, amazed at how um, how we don't we never hear about uh, Aretha Franklin dying from pancreatic cancer. Yeah, You know, where is the celebrity in that? You know, what is, why didn't, why didn't after Aretha Franklin die, why didn't everybody jump up and say, oh, you know, pancreatic cancer? Um, you know, we don't see that as, um, as an issue. But, um, you know, how many other people um, are 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 living with a disease that that they don't understand that they can't get to, um, but it's it's it has a lot to do with the culture of this country and um, the cultural context in which we design uh, things like we design the systems like healthcare, like education, like housing. You know, it's it's all about. Um, it goes back to uh what is what is important to us um, when HIV became uh, it, it's always a, had an uh disproportionate impact on communities of people of color and yet um once uh white gay men and white people uh started to or, or started to live longer, we forgot about that, yeah, uh, and yet it still has uh, such a disproportionate uh impact on communities of color, so it it it's just a reflection of uh, of the values that we have as as a country um, you know
0: well it's it's almost i I made a note here, and i'm I'm taking notes here, you know, regardless of the disease. I guess we could say here you know whether it's hiv or pancreatic cancer there's still very big systemic issues with the way the system is here in the united states right you know in terms of quality of care access to care insurance um you know and and we can throw that into you know depending on you know certain races and in certain areas of the country you know in terms of how you get access to care and awareness of it you know, I I think is a real challenge. It's just fascinating to me, you know, that, uh, as I said before, like AIDS has pretty much become kind of, I I think in my mind, almost like a little bit of an afterthought because of what's transpired and and people don't really focus it as they did when I was in middle school or going into high school. And even I I can remember because I remember magic coming out, when that happened that was when i was in college so you know it was you know mm. it wasn't that i mean it's 25 years ago or 20 years ago so it's well, just yeah. fascinating to me and but i do agree from hearing you speak that we have some really big systemic issues Um, here in the country when it comes to to any, you know, major, I think any disease prevention uh, protocol, because it's really fascinating to me how bad of a job we do as a society and here, you know, in terms of our medical system, you know, with quality access to care in general. And also, I think the other big thing is just awareness and making people aware of it, which is uh, I commend you for having the gumption and the foresight to continue to do that and all the work you've done. So let's shift yeah, gears. See,
1: I, I, I think on on some levels that that um certainly one of the things that happens with um, with with HIV and with some of the other 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 serious uh, well it's a chronic illness now but some of the more serious illnesses that we have is that we become so overwhelmed by the severity of it that we let go of our our ability to hope for things to get better. And uh, I think what we learned from HIV and AIDS is that it was that hope that kept so many people alive, you know, and kept people trying, kept people, kept people working and, um, and, and, and education, uh, um, HIV, when AIDS hit, it hit, you know, sort of the, the, the top rung of the community as well. And so we had a whole lot of people who took t- the time to learn about the disease and to talk about it and to, to get involved in their care and to ask questions. We had people who were asking questions who, and we took the time to educate one another. So there was this, this sense of hope that came through education. And the, uh, the other piece was that, that we, we developed systems of caring for each other and um and i think that's something that we learned from from the last 38 years of hiv um is that when we when we dare to care about one another of uh, those diseases that are terrifying uh terrifying i mean, uh, the pancreatic cancer is terrifying and and yet um it it, it how do we take care of one another um in in that and and how do we sort of humanize something that is so so very terrifying when when a disease like that you know where where you, you got eight only like 8 8% of the people survive this shit um how do you nurture um of a, a posture of hope and um, and when with HIV, when everybody around you is dying, how do you still have hope? And I think that that that, in and of itself um, is is a lesson that we learn uh, from diseases like HIV that that if if you can hope one more one more day, you know, if you can find just one more, one more little ounce of hope, and if you can, um, if you can dare to talk about it and and humanize it by, you know, I mean, we talk to each other. How can you have conversations? Can you, you know, can can we can we talk about this? Can we can we really really allow this thing um, take the power away from this thing by calling it what it is—a disease? You know, how do how do we it's not who you are it's something that you're that you're struggling through it's something that you're working out it's 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 you know how do we how do we reassure one another that uh, that we are not this body you know that that every day you know find out who you are you know and celebrate who you are and how do we you know how do we do this and how do we maintain a, a spirit of hope in the face of something where that everyone has already labeled hopeless. You, you, you see what I'm saying? You know? Oh well, yeah. It's in, in no you know, and, and and that was that was um, that was the greatest gift of of of, of years of, of of HIV. And I mean, I mean, I'm still doing it. I'm mean, still doing the work. You know, um, well, I'm
0: 68. It, you know, so it, you just age yourself, um, Renee. I'm I think sorry? you just aged yourself right now. Uh, for our Oh, hey, man, I'm, I'm 68 <laughs> and
1: really, really happy for oh. every every day of that, you know?
0: Well, I, I just want to jump in here and say, uh, I think, you know, with any disease, it should never define you. You know, it's just something that you battle. And I think that's one thing that I've seen with survivors. They're never allowed this thing, pancreatic cancer, to define them you know, and still right. live their lives. So on that note, you mentioned, so just I know from reading about you and, and doing some research. So in 2016, I believe you were diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. So you, you're spending years of building this church uh, or, you know, your your, your, uh, your community, working with HIV, and then you get diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And what was that experience? First of all, two part question how did it, how did you get diagnosed? Like what, what, what were you experiencing? Because I always love answering, asking that question to our survivors and fighters, because there's a lot of people that are listening to this that might relate with what you you went through at that time. And that's such an important thing to to share with people because everyone is different. And then uh, we'll, we'll talk about how that was mentally for you um, after that. So two parts. How did you get yeah, diagnosed? Yeah, uh, and- you
1: know what, man, I had no pain, I had nothing. Um I have to to back up a little bit. I have a di- another disease called achalasia which huh. uh affects the esophagus and um I've had that for uh 40 years, 35-40 years and um and so it's, you know, I I I uh, as a big girl, I was, you know, about 240 pounds. and uh, um, I, had uh, it's a progressive disease that basically the esophagus loses over time, the ability to that milking, uh, ability, the muscles. So, um, I, you know, I was, um, I was having some, some problems with eating and stuff and, um, and it's the weirdest thing. I got this itch. I mean, I, I could not stop itching and, huh. um. I went to the doctor, and they found that I that I had a uh, a gallstone that broke loose and was blocking a bile duct. So, um, and that was causing the itch because all the bile was backing up in my liver and all of that stuff. And when they went in, they put a stent in to clean that out. And when they went in to um, to vacuum out all the sludge from from the 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 little stone that got, that broke loose, they found the, the cancer. Um, wow. my, it, it was just, it was just, uh, a, a blessing from God. I'm telling you, man, I, my doctor called me, he said, Renee, you know, I, I don't know what it is, said, but, uh, I've been thinking about you all night. And my GI guy says, I'd like to take a deeper look when, uh, cause I, I was losing a little weight, said, but I'd like to take a deeper look when we go into Clean out the stuff from the the gallstone, and uh, and they found that uh, I had a tumor uh, on my pancreas that was touching a uh, a lymph node, and it was it was very small, but uh, there there was no pain, there was nothing, there was just this itch, and um, so, but and Renee they, uh,
0: but Renee, because I, it, I got a question because here for it. Yeah. You said though that you lost weight. So, was the weight loss significant? And were you not eating? Because I know sometimes people will say, "Well, they they lost twenty to thirty pounds in like three weeks, and they weren't really hungry, so their appetite was kind of suppressed, which is tends to be." Yeah. You know, a, a, well,
1: I was losing weight, but but the, they attributed that to the achalasia.
0: Oh. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah, because I you know I, I was beginning to lose weight, but but um, but they just said, well, you know, you, it, it, it 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 comes and goes. But I didn't I didn't lose. Uh, um, yeah, it, 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 they didn't know whether it, what it was, you know. Yeah. But they most of the time they they just said it was the achalasia because I was unable to eat um, as you know as, as much as, as possible. So that was probably in a, I lost maybe twenty thirty pounds in six months. But, um, but they would not have, if it hadn't been for the gallstone, it, they would have kept saying it was the achalasia. And it was really, really, um, the hand of God that, that just, that, that caused that little stone to break because there wasn't any pain and there was, they could attribute weight loss to the fact that I wasn't eating. Correct. So, um, you know, if, if I, I I think it would have been. You know, other people that I talked to with pancreatic cancer say, you know, that that was their first. But by the time they start losing weight, it, it was pretty advanced. Yeah. But for me, it was just that that gallstone, and uh, and so when I went into for this other procedure, uh, they did this this deeper look. And saw the tumor, but they would not have they would not have uh found it um, at that stage but they they also staged it at um, um, i i guess stage three because it it hadn't it had it was just it was sort of this tumor was leaning against the uh, or they might have staged it at stage four I don't know i you know i i i really don't did not buy it. Go into any of that. I didn't want to know. Um, I think I asked a uh, year or so later, and they told me. But um, but it was it because of where because it was touching a lymph gland, a lymph node. Um, they were really really aggressive with it. So I had a Whipple um, right after that, and then uh, once I healed from the Whipple, I had chemo after chemo I had radiation. So it was pretty, they were pretty aggressive with it.
0: Where did you have your surgery and your procedures in Seattle or? In Swedish. Oh, Swedish hospital in Seattle.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, um, you know, it it was, uh, you know, I went in for one thing and woke up and he said, well, we not, we, we, you can't go home. (laughs) And, uh, it was a couple days before my 65th birthday. It was, uh, it was on the action My both of my, my parents died on the same day, uh, years apart, but the same day, uh, March 31st. And so, uh, it was that same day. It was on March 31st. And, um, I woke up, uh, from the procedure and they said, uh, what's going on and my birthday was five days later my birthday was april 4th and uh so i i was it was just before i turned 65 i uh i turned 65 uh with pancreatic cancer and uh that was that was it
0: so after the surgery you do radiation you do chemo and then you get clearance, like you have an NED, like no evidence of disease. Or did you have to go back and you know do more treatment? Or what? What was the process like after that, Renee?
1: Well, actually, I had surgery, and there was no, there's been no evidence of the disease after since the surgery. Wow! But um, I went back. Uh, they did chemo. Um, I took. Chemo by pills and yeah. infusions, and the thing was that you know even though there was no evidence of the disease, it, it, you know they said it's sort of like when you drop a glass on the kitchen floor, you know. Correct. They wanted to make sure, uh, and so I've gone back, uh, you know, uh, for scans regularly. This past October um, was my now I I can wait. I I have a year now between scans, but I. See my oncologist every six months now, but up until then I was seeing him every three months, then every six months. So now I'm I'm up to seeing him every six months, and uh, for blood work and I'll have another scan in a year. Um, but I have blood work every six months now. But I was getting blood work every month, every yeah, th- yeah. And and, it, and the treatment was was toxic. Um, I I I lost it burned the the skin on my hands turned black, my bottom of my feet turned black um, and peeled off uh, that part was very painful i was uh you know i um you, know, you talk about life changing I had um prior to that i I hadn't done anything um in Detroit in years but and i but when I was diagnosed, I was a pastor. I was an interim pastor at a church uh, here, and I had just, uh, I was in the process of changing. I was going back to teaching. I was My interim period had ended, and so I had just, uh, it was the first week of class, and I had just gone back, started back teaching at University of Washington. So I had one week of the first week of class. And then I went in for this procedure, so it it totally changed my life because I couldn't I couldn't teach anymore. Um, I had to tell the university about the cancer, and uh, and it just ended that right away uh, because I could not do anything else. You know, I was um, in fact I ended up I called the university from my hospital bed and told them what was going on. So I. Uh, it ended uh, ended that part of my career. I uh, was finishing up at the at at the church, so I couldn't uh, I couldn't do that either. I mean that uh, that ended a uh, uh, few months later too. So wow, you know, it just uh, it just changed my life in drastic ways. You know?
0: So if you had to define pancreatic cancer renee what would be your definition of pancreatic cancer now as you look back on this journey that you've had over the last three years
1: if i you know i mean it it um uh, i mean there's i don't know you know it just it's uh, just a disease that uh that takes over your life a disease that can that can you know i i don't know how to I don't know how to how to define it, but I can tell you that um the thing is that it was uh, for me absolutely transformative because for all i mean all I knew about pancreatic cancer was it kills you, yeah, and so um, I had um you know in one big swoop um to deal with the fact that I can die. <laughs> And that was, uh, that in and of itself was transformative. Uh, but it also uh, put me in a position, you know, to, to that it was, uh, I tell people all the time that I would not have chosen to have pancreatic cancer, but uh, for the experience that it has given me, I would not change that. And I know that's weird for, to hear. But the gift of, of pancreatic cancer has been invaluable. Uh, first and foremost, I had to I had to um, I had to determine who in my life to tell, and uh, so I set out and I I uh, made a list of of important people that, and I, I guess I've been a, a you know, a, a community activist and, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty much, uh, you know, a, a person that knows a lot of people. Yeah. And so I, uh, I had to, uh, I had to notify, uh, sort of next of kin. And I realized how, how wide my, my network of next of kin was. And that was, um, that was, that was great for me to realize all the people that I had to inform, all of my next of kin, you know, around the country and different parts of the world. So, uh, I probably, uh, I don't know, 50, 60 people I sent out, uh, email and I said, uh, this is what's going on in my life. And, um, And I, you know, my immediate, you know, family that I shared DNA with, I certainly had to tell them, I had to tell my church, I had to tell, I had to tell people that this was uh, my new reality, Uh, and that was transformative. Uh, On the one hand, you know, it was painful to have to do that, but at the other hand, on the other hand, it was, um, it was it was strengthening and part of that healing to understand, uh, that there were so many, 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 many people in my life who were my next of kin. Uh, the other thing was, um, uh, was, uh, uh, understanding that, uh, that I was not this body, that, uh, that there was more to me than that. Um, uh, determining that I was going to do whatever I could to survive this thing and that was and that was a decision that that you know we don't usually get that decision so that was a gift you know being able the gift of having to decide uh, to fight um, um, the gift of saying to well you know my relationship with God I I, I, I you know I, I'm a person who is for for decades stood up and said, God loves you, but I never um, really, I I needed to, I I understood with pancreatic cancer that God loves me, (laughs) you know, Renee McCoy, God loves me, And, um, and so I was able to receive that kind of love from God and from other people as well. Because people rallied. I, you know, I had a little homophobic, <laughs> little homophobic group of Pentecostals in Detroit <laughs> were, were having prayer sessions, and people were praying for me. Uh, I have a friend who's a, an atheist who, uh, who said, you know, I don't believe in God, but if anybody deserves, uh, you know, God to step up, it's you. So I'm going to have a chat with this guy. Uh, so uh, my, my Hindu friends. Uh, Muslim friends, uh, people who uh, a friend of mine took my picture with him to see John of uh, John of God over in Brazil. People, people came out and said, "We need for you to live," and I had to receive that. I never would have been in a position to receive because I didn't. I didn't have anything else. Pancreatic cancer took. Everything, and I had to decide to receive love and support from other people, uh, and I would never have done, I, I was good at you know intellectually you know talking about uh, love and justice and peace and hope and all of that, but all of the things that i i had I had intellectualized, I had to live things like hope. I had to find hope for me. I had hope for the world, but I had no hope for me. I never thought about it, you know? And so that was another gift of pancreatic cancer. And you know what, man, when you're dealing with chemo every day of your life and and what it does to your body, uh, you know, my my, uh, my, uh, uh, whatever immune system just, collapsed uh, my uh, uh blood cells messed up so i would have to go in and get a shot every day and uh, potassium and everything you know i there were times when i was you know, my feet hurt so bad my hands hurt so bad i had no energy it was just i couldn't eat because of you know it it Not the acalasia, so I went from 244 pounds to 116 pounds. Oh my God! You know, um, in seven or eight months, and um, they were talking about feeding tubes, all of this, and and so I had to really, you know, all I could do was lay there um, and figure out what to do. So and there was nothing I could do except decide every day to live, you know? Every day I had to decide to live, that I deserve to live, that I still had stuff to do. This thing I'm doing in Detroit, I wasn't working, doing anything in Detroit, but I would lay there and I I said, well, when I get done with this, I will go back and finish this work that, that was started in Detroit. I will go back, and make it happen. I'll go back and 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 renew and revive um, this ministry that's struggling because I have the gifts to do that. I have more life, and so what am I going to do with more life? You know, and and it was about claiming that. The other thing that that um, that I did was I, uh, you know, when you're the toxicity of of the treatment and the disease and all of that it brings up all of your stuff. Yep. And I learned to forgive. I all of the pain and the hurt that I've ever had those 65 years seemed to come to the surface. And as they came up I just forgave. I gave my I forgave my <laughs> my mother for that ass whipping I got when I was 5 that I didn't deserve. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was a That was what was so transformative for me. That was the gift of pancreatic cancer. And I honestly believe that unless you find what the gift of grace is in this this disease, that that is what helped me to survive. I look for the gift of grace, not for the burden of the disease. I refuse to accept it as a burden. I look every day for the gift. And every day, there was a gift, you know? If it was nothing more than my dog who wouldn't leave my side through it all, my dog said, hey, I got a job. And my job is to stay here with you. You know, uh, it was my friends who called. It was somebody who would come by and leave a a fifth of bourbon in the milk box. You know? Uh, Somebody who would come. it, It was... It was all of a sudden, I woke up, and pancreatic cancer woke me up, not to the brokenness in my life, but to the possibilities and to the hope in the world. And if I found hope in that moment, I can find hope in all the other moments that God gives me. Does that make sense, man?
0: It's super powerful. And I've got a question here. I didn't want to jump in.
1: But I know man you see, you're, I, a, I, a, a I, you're
0: on a you're on a roll. <laughs> know, per- I, you
1: know what man I am so happy to be alive. <laughs> well, I, you know You should be. <laughs> I want to talk about this shit.
0: Well you because- sh- you should be Renee and, and I think I will tell you this uh something that is very common with a lot of survivors with everyone is they they love talking about how they're alive and living life because they feel that they are blessed to be here and it is a blessing and, and you know, there's something special about it. My question to you, and, and I, we've had people of faith and I think faith has been a, a big component of everyone that we've interviewed. That's a survivor and a fighter in whatever form, whether it's Christianity, Judaism, right, right. Know, believing in, in some sort of God, whatever that may be. But recently we had a minister on and I posed this question. And he's a survivor and, um, you're a minister and, and you're a survivor. And I want to pose the same question. Did you ever in this odyssey of this thing called pancreatic cancer, did you ever question your faith?
1: No, not at all. Not at all. My faith got stronger. Um, you know what though? um, you got to, you know, I, I, like I said, man, I, I'm African-American. I, 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 you know, my people survived slavery because of my faith. My faith has sustained me through slavery. So I'm African-American. Faith sustained me through that. I'm a woman in a, in a sexist, racist world. My faith sustained me through that. I'm a lesbian. My faith sustained me, I know you know it 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 has been my faith that has sustained me through so many other things, you know so um, so no, no, not at all, so not a minute i I was like, all right, you know, um here we go, you know this is another dimension of god's presence in the world, so but that, not at all you so know i I gotta know that uh. And whatever you want to call this this other being, you know, that there is something greater than me and that I have access to that power. And that's what faith is, that there is a there is a, a power in the universe that's greater than me. Whoever created this thing is greater than I am, and I have access to that same power. You know? So no.
0: So then Renee and, and this is a question that I've asked survivors in the past that's come up on the podcast often you we started the conversation about all the work you've done with HIV and we did talk about disease and 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 there's a lot of parallels to HIV to cancer as a whole right and what's going on Uh in, in the world today not just here in the United States and then you just mentioned you know being a black woman being a woman of faith being a lesbian and then dealing with pancreatic cancer so do you feel that this journey that you've been on your whole life you know you're an activist in in the HIV community which paralleled kind of pancreatic cancer you're an openly gay woman of faith which has kind of you know prepared you through life being an African-American woman as well, prepared you again for this fight to pancreatic cancer. So do you think, you know, and this this, not to get really philosophical or super deep on this point, but do you think like all these things that you've gone through to age 65 before you were diagnosed with pancreatic cancer prepared you for the battle? Oh,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Right down to that little, that little gallstone breaking loose man you know see i don't think god's up in the in in, in wherever god lives saying damn <laughs> renee got pancreatic cancer what am i gonna do now you know?
0: i'm not you i'm know? not just laughing because like you know but i think pe but you know what renee and the reason why i asked the question you know, people think. You know, you always hear it. Oh man, why me? Or how can this happen to me? And you know, I, I grew up in a, in a Roman Catholic uh, household. You know, we went to church every Saturday. I went to parochial yeah. school for twelve years of my life. You know, through yeah, elementary, elementary and high school. So I, I you know, I, I think I know faith pretty well. But, you know, I, I think like people say, like, oh, that things just happen. I do believe sometimes things just do happen. But I also do believe this journey that I've been on the last 10 years, um, and this is not about me, but what I have seen from interviewing so many survivors, that there are things that they go through in their lifetime that when that diagnosis is given to them, they have done all these other things to prepare them to fight this thing like no other. And whether it's a loss of a child or an, an, an immediate family member that prepared them to fight this thing like they would not be able to fight it 10 years prior. Or maybe it's the career path that they've chosen, that they're in law enforcement or you know emergency services where they had the reality of not being able to come home that night because of their day job and leaving the house every day knowing that, hey, I, I had peace with my family. I have peace with myself. And if I don't come home tonight, everyone's in a good place, similar to when people get this awful diagnosis of pancreatic cancer, life changes. But you know, they they've done everything right up until that point, or people that have worked out, um, have watched what they and then they get this diagnosis, and they're able to battle this cancer, unlike anything else, because they are prepared physically and mentally for that. So I, I wanted to ask that question, because I think it's it's you know it's very airy for me because I've interviewed so many survivors and it's just a fascinating yes. thing that I've seen where people have done these things or had these experiences in their life and then they get this diagnosis and you know something we said originally it doesn't define you it's just something that you deal with at that moment and it's just like what you dealt with 6 years ago or 10 years ago maybe not as severe but right you kind of have that experience on how to deal with this thing and get through it. And you keep that mindset and you keep doing the things you're doing. So
1: listen, man, you know, I, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I've had, you know, like I said, I'm from Detroit and I've had two nephews shot down on the street. Just, you know, one, the day after Thanksgiving one year and a few years later, a couple days before Thanksgiving, um, I've, I've seen, you know, People dying in the street. I've, I've buried many people. I've I've done a lot of stuff. Everything that has happened in my life brought me to that place, and and continues on. You know, I tell people I go to I take I do CrossFit now. Yep. I'm 68. <laughs> to to be doing CrossFit at 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 68 years old. It is is incredible. I never would have done that. Uh, talking to you, you know, pancreatic cancer. Uh, I, 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 the I ended. Uh, it, I, 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 the the only exercise I did was fish. You know, uh, <laughs> you know I, everything in my life, uh, took me to that day, and has carried me forward. So uh, I felt, you know, I was prepared for whatever um, because of every day of my life, and every day that I lived gave me the grace that I needed. So I entered pancreatic cancer with 65 years of grace. And I, you know, like you, I I was liturgically, I I was raised Roman Catholic, went to Catholic school all my life, never went to public school. Um, you know, I, I I did everything that that there was to do. You know, I got a a, a doctorate uh, late in life. You know, I got I, I finished college after twenty years of not being in in college. Uh, I did everything that I was that that happened in my life prepared me for that moment, and so it wasn't terrifying. It was just that moment and um and it's also you know like what do i do with this with the rest of this life that i have you know because pancreatic cancer it can come back you know i don't i'm not you know i'm a survivor but it can come back you know i can get all kind of other stuff you know i i've had you know the achalasia i've had you know some struggles with that um you know it's not the struggle it's what is the gift of grace in this moment and what pancreatic cancer did was it enabled me to receive that to pay attention to my life i could you know i was good at paying attention to the world and to systems and and to everybody else's life and helping people do that pancreatic cancer gave me permission to pay attention to my life, and I realized that that once I realized the power that was in my life, that power is only as good as I give it away. And so, the power of pancreatic cancer, the power of surviving pancreatic cancer, has is it, it, it's, it's only alive if I'm willing to receive that gift and to give it away. You know, I mean that's why I you know when. I, when uh, Alyssa, the woman that runs the gym, told me about you guys, I said, of course, what can I do? And, you know, and so it, it becomes what can I do with this life? You know, what a, a podcast, nothing to it, man. I, what do you need? Um, I had another friend, a really good friend of mine. We were in undergraduate and graduate school together, and she was just diagnosed about three, three weeks ago. So I made it a point when I went home to Detroit to spend some time with her and to talk about this, you know, let's talk about this and 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 let me tell you what it, you know, let me tell you what the gift of this was. We know what the the burden is, but let me let me tell you about the blessing of it, you know. So 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 yeah, you know, I don't even know what your question was, man. I well, went off in another. Uh,
0: no, of- a, and <laughs> you went off in a, in an area where I wanted to go though, Renee here. So, and and that's powerful stuff. So what advice would you give to someone who's listening right now that just got diagnosed?
1: Look for the gift of grace in this. What is it? You know what the burden is. What is the blessing? What is this telling you about life, about your life, about the meaning of life? What is it telling you about your worth, how valuable you are, you know? that it's all right for it to be all about you. This is one of those times, you know, we have a, a, a way of saying this isn't about you. This is about you, and that's okay. Give yourself permission for this thing to be about you. And once it, it's about you, then you go and you look through everything that you've ever done, everything you've ever felt. What is the blessing in that? We know the burden of that. We know the burden of life really easy, but there's always, we have choices, Dino. We can choose to see this as a burden, or we can choose to see this as a blessing. What is the gift of grace in this moment? If it's nothing more than, than being aware that, that, that you have a life that you don't want to lose, you know, that pancreatic cancer comes on, oh, damn, I don't want to die. Why don't you want to die? Because look at what it is that 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 you have received in life. You know, it, it, you don't want to die, but why? Look at the why of your life and celebrate the whys of your life, the whys of living. Celebrate all of the things that you want to live for. You know, I want to live because I, w- I have a relationship I want to keep going. Celebrate that. I want to live because I have a dog that I love. Celebrate that. I want to live because I got things I want to do. Celebrate the visions. I want to live because I have unfinished business, but celebrate all of the things that you have to live for not all of the 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 horror of dying we can't we're gonna die anyway. but what pancreatic cancer does is celebrate is it brought to life all of the things that I have to celebrate in life, not the things that hurt me. Let that go. Forgive that. Just forgive all the hurt. I forgive it. You know, somebody somebody peed on my grass. Forgive them. <laughs> somebody cut me off in traffic. I forgive you. You know, I forgive you. Forgive you, forgive you, forgive you, because I'm too busy celebrating the things that I have. What do you want to do? You want to write that book, write that book. You want to make that trip, take that trip. You want to meet that girl, meet that girl. You know, you, you want to, what do you want to do? It's, it is all about you and that's okay. Well, <laughs> Pancreatic cancer gives you license for it to be okay. Somebody, when I told a friend of mine that I that I had cancer, <laughs> One of the, the 50-some, 50, 60
0: people, she sent me a note back. She said, well, cancer and f- with the wrong person now. <laughs> <laughs> I love you it. Know? I love it. Robert, yeah. Renee, I think you just summed up our conversation so powerful. And and I've been taking notes this whole time. And the last thing for our listeners at home, and, and you've been awesome to have on our podcast, and I appreciate the honesty and the openness about your life and and what you've been able to do up until this point, which is pretty amazing. And, you know, sharing how you've dealt with pancreatic cancer. And this is what our podcast is all about of sharing these stories. And hopefully someone on the other side is listening and they get inspired. And if there is someone on the other side listening to this, Renee, I know you have a website. What is the best way for someone to reach out to you if they want to talk to you more about your experience or anything that was mentioned here today in the podcast?
1: well i have a i have a website uh, com, and that's 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 uh that's a good way but i mean i don't mind you um i'm not i'm i'm you know being sick for a while i i kind of let the the website i started right before i got sick so uh i'm trying to get that back together but um Man, you can give people my uh, my email. I'm I'm, I'm already go right, right
0: ahead. That. You can you can go ahead and this is live, so we'll go ahead and put your email out there. So what's the email you'd like to share?
1: Uh, Renee two at gmail.com.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, Renee, thank you for being on the Project Purple podcast and sharing your story and how you dealt with pancreatic cancer. And I'm gonna sum up our conversation here in, in a couple words that I note here. And this was so powerful when you said this, is hope in the moment. And hopefully our listeners take to heart what you said today, because I think there are so many golden nuggets here in our conversation on how you dealt with pancreatic cancer. And like I said, I'm sure there's someone listening on the other side that is gonna possibly reach out to you and take what you said, and and you know this is just so powerful. So thank you for giving us the opportunity to share your story.
1: Oh man, it, it was it was my pleasure. But you you got to stop talking about on the other side. Man. You
0: know? <laughs> well, I, I on the other side of this podcast. So you know we always someone listening.
1: <laughs> you know what I'm saying, man? It, it 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 for people of faith, it 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 it's kind of kind
0: of spooky yeah no i know i know so for those listening at home let's say uh okay, I'm, yeah, sure, you go. I'm sure i'm yeah. sure someone took something and uh you know and this is just so powerful for us so we really appreciate it here at project purple for you being so open and sharing your experience with pancreatic cancer and as we say here on the podcast that's a wrap of another episode of the project All Purple right. podcast thanks for
1: you're welcome